Hello and welcome to the Barton Legal Podcast. I'm Bill Barton, a solicitor who lives and breathes construction and engineering law. At Barton Legal, we help clients in the UK and around the world on everything from litigation and arbitration to drafting and negotiating contracts. And in this podcast, we unpack the latest legal trends and problems facing the industry, providing you with straight-talking insights to help break down these complex legal questions. So, let's get on with today's episode. Hi, today I'm going to be talking about terminating a construction contract and looking at the difference between FIDIC, JCT and NEC4. Each of these contracts provides specific reasons for terminating, including insolvency, liquidation, bankruptcy, default by the other party, and corruption. But we're going to start by looking at termination notices. So once you've made out your ground for termination, you must provide notice to the other party. And generally, a notice under these contracts must include all of the following. You need to make it clear that it's sent to terminate the contract, so the purpose of your notice. It should be in writing. That will normally include email, but again, check the specific terms. It should be separate from other communications. That's something that's particular to NEC. It should be served in hard copy, so by hand or post, as well as by email. It must be served to the address stated in the contract, So that might be different from a company's registered office or the site office. It must be addressed to a specific person or individual who's named in the contract. And it must be addressed to the other party named in the contract, i.e. to the other contracting party. And what I'm talking about are unamended versions of the contract where JCT doesn't allow service of notice by email whereas NEC allows service via a communication system as defined in the contract, so that might well include email. FIDIC does allow notices to be served electronically, but this must be specified in the particular conditions. And also note that under NEC, the notices must also be sent to the project manager. So you need to look at the specific terms and those are things that you can obviously amend when you're entering into your contract. When does the termination take effect? What's the the relevant date? Well, under FIDIC, it's 14 days after notice has been given or immediately if termination is given for corruption um, or 28 days after a notice has been received. In NEC 4... It's after the project manager issues the termination certificate. And in JCT, if the reason for termination is default, then there must be an initial notice, and then that default must continue for 14 days after the notice, and then the party has a period of 21 days in which to terminate. However, again, termination can be immediate if the ground is insolvency or corruption. What about drafting advice? What would I suggest? Well, in FIDIC, I would specify that notices are to be given electronically, especially where parties are often based in different countries. I would also amend uh, the terms to oblige the other party to notify you of any change 
in relevant addresses within a set time frame so that if in a, they move registered office or they move anything else. I'd also amend clause 1.3 to specify when a notice has been received. So if, for example, by hand, then that would be immediate. If by post, then you'd probably talk about two days after postage. And by email, you'd have to look at what is the system to be used and how do you ensure that it has actually been received. In NEC 4, I'd normally look to amend clause 90.1 to say that the project manager will provide his reasoning for not allowing termination, if that applies. I'd also amend it to give a timescale for the project manager to make his decision. So, for example, say that must be within 14 days because that provides a degree of certainty. I'd also amend the contract so as to include the name, address and designated email address of the project manager or any other party that has to be served with a notice so that then the obligation is on those parties to notify you if that information changes. I might include a communication system such as email in the scope of the contract but I would also define what that is and what electronic transmission will amount to so that you can work out when something has actually been served. I'd also amend the contract to oblige the other party to notify us if they change an address. Under JCT, if we're looking, say, primarily at Design and Build 2016, I would normally amend the notices to enable them to be given electronically. Again, especially if the parties are going to be in different countries or, or substantially different geographical areas where hand delivery might be difficult but that's subject very much to your client's instructions. I'd consider amending the contract to remove the 21 day period after the 14 days notice, I to shorten it so that if a default has continued for 14 days you have a much shorter period in which to give termination and that would normally be if you're acting for a contractor and you're negotiating against the employer because you're trying to make it harder for them to terminate. Alternatively, limit the employer and the contractor's ability to terminate at a certain time or by changing the period during which a default must continue. What do you do after termination? You need to bear in mind that termination is not the final step. It brings the contractual relationship to an end going forward but not in relation to the obligations to that date. So those contractual uh, rights exist and disputes remain to be decided under the contract. So it's important that the contract details set out what will happen after termination. So normally all contracts will provide for an account to be provided which will determine whether the contractor or the employer are owed monies or owe money to the other side. The employer may have the option of completing the works either with accepting termination, say on insolvency, or they may decide that despite the contractor being insolvent, they elect nevertheless not to terminate. And the contractor may be required to remove its equipment and plant from the site, but again there might be restrictions on that because of the disruption it would cause. You need to look at contractual provisions so JCT sets out in clauses 8.7 and 8.8 .8 
what must occur when the employer terminates the contract, and in clause 8.12, what happens when the contractor terminates. NEC provides for a different combination of procedures that can be followed after termination, but they all include the option for the employer client to finish the work. FIDIC sets out that if the employer terminates the contract, there must be the creation of an account setting out how much is owed to the contractor, and if the contractor terminates, they stop further work. What about other important considerations? Well, obviously I'd advise you to read the clauses carefully and look out for any words such as may, because that word implies an option but not an obligation. So compare that with the word shall, which is clearly an obligation to do something, and that may determine what you can do and when and how. And as we've touched on in other podcasts in this series, if you get it wrong and terminate in the wrong way or on the wrong grounds, you may be committing a repudiatory breach of contract. But how can you avoid termination? Is it possible? Well, sometimes a long-term contract cannot be terminated, even when there are good reasons for doing so, and this is because termination may not offer the best value for money. So when I say it can't be terminated, I'm talking about the party's commercial reality. So if you can't afford to terminate because perhaps the contractor is in significant delay and causing you additional cost, but... If you terminate the contractor, you're going to have to go through a complete retendering process. There will be far more significant delay and loss caused. So what can you do? Well, you could seek to negotiate a reduction in the scope of their work or services, but that has to be by agreement because, of course, if you just remove work, that might be some form of breach by you. You could exercise your contractual rights more stringently so that's levying deductions and or making sure that you're giving any notices, perhaps because they're not regularly and diligently progressing with the works. You might be able to refinance the project. Or you could seek to put in place a stronger performance monitoring system and mechanisms to incentivise the contractor. Now that might require additional documentation. It might require um, additional funding and costs to be paid. There are other options. For example, funders might seek to step in to the contract. Now, step-in rights will normally be included within a warranty and can give that funder the right to take over control of that project in certain circumstances. If the lender exercises those rights, it obviously strengthens their position And that's because the client's right then to take any steps towards terminating will be contingent on the lender's consent. The lender may also have the ability to prevent the client from exercising its own termination rights so that under a step-in provision, the client developer has to give the funder prior notice of an intention to terminate thereby giving the funder the option, as I say, to step in and take over control. And that's important for funders because what they want to do ideally is to ensure that a project is built out, even if it's a bit late and costs more, 
because that's still going to provide them with greater certainty than an employer simply terminating a contract and then having to go through a re-tender process. So the overall advice with termination is examine the contractual terms, be clear about what are obligations and using the word shall, look at uh, clauses where the word may is included and what does that include and if you are going to exercise a contractual right to terminate make sure that you are very clear about the scope nature and content of the notices to be served by you it is imperative that you follow very carefully and strictly the contractual terms and conditions in that respect as to their form content and who they are served on and how they are served if you ever need any advice on termination then feel free to get in touch with me at barton legal thanks very much for listening thank you for joining me for today's barton legal podcast please make sure you follow the show in your podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released we'll be tackling another important topic in this month's barton legal webinar And you can register for free and watch back our previous webinars at bartonlegal.com. Why don't you connect with me on LinkedIn and follow Barton Legal to keep up to date with all the legal trends and news. I look forward to speaking to you again in the next Barton Legal podcast.